Gospel of John chapter 1, we're still in chapter 1. We started this gospel last week, and uh, today is about the witness. Can I get a witness, amen, this morning for the Lord Jesus Christ? And, uh, you know, it's great to have people in our lives who give it to us straight, isn't it? I mean, it really is. It's good to have people that tell us straight. They do not mince words. Generally, we're grateful for those people, but not always. Um, it reminds me of the story of a little grandmother who was asked to take the witness stand in, in a trial that's taking place in the South. And as she took the stand, the defense attorney asked her, Mrs. Smith, do you know me? She said, yeah, I know you, Mr. Jones. I've known you since you were a small child, and frankly, you've been a real disappointment to me. She said, you lie, you manipulate people, you don't tell the truth, and you think you're a big shot, and you haven't got the sense to realize that you're a two-bit paper pusher. Yeah, I know you. I've known you for a long time. The defense attorney was absolutely stunned. And not knowing what to do next, he pointed to the prosecutor and he said, and do you know him? And she said, yeah, I know Mr. Bradley. I've known him for a long time. He's lazy. He's bigoted. He cheats on people. He has one of the worst law practices in the county. Yeah, I know him. And you can imagine the prosecutor nearly passed out. And at that point, the judge called both of the legal counsels forward. And he whispered to them and said, listen, if either of you idiots... Ask her if she knows me. I'm going to sentence you both to the electric chair. <laughs> I tell you that story because today we have a witness that is taking the stand, and he is a very unique kind of witness in the Word of God. His name is John the Baptist. We know his name well. He was a tell-it-like-it-is kind of guy. He didn't mince words. He's a straight shooter. He was very different. He didn't look like most of the other people around him, and he didn't eat like them either. John, you remember as you look in the early Gospels that he was born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He was born to a godly priest, Zechariah, and then Elizabeth beyond the years of childbearing, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah and told him, you and Elizabeth are going to have a son. And his name is going to be John. And he is born of the aristocracy of the land of Israel. We know that. Uh, and if you look at that, they were the people that were the power brokers. They were the mover shakers of the day. But John, rather than living in that setting, chose to leave that behind because instead of functioning in the upper class, in the upper echelons of Jerusalem culture and society, John abandons that, and some scholars think that he went to Qumran and lived a monastic uh, kind of life in the society of the Essenes. And we know that he wore a garment made out of camel hair and a leather belt. The Bible tells us this, and interesting. And it says that he ate locusts and wild honey, which is a very unique diet for sure. How about that for the fast? How many like locusts and uh, wild honey? You know, that'd be a new way. Locusts in that day would have been considered a delicacy for the priestly class. But in this portion of scripture, locusts is that he mashed up carob seeds and it was the food of the poor. 
they would mash this up, and honey, which they did in that day, was date palm honey, where they would mash up the dates off the date trees and get honey from that, and they'd put it together, and they would make a cake, and that is what John is eating. He did this because he identified with a people who withdrew from society. That's why. He was a little different than the others that were around him. And when John comes on the scene in Scripture, he is a lightning bolt. He's a lightning bolt. This is the way that he greeted people in Luke chapter 3 and verse 7. The Bible says this, the crowds came out to be baptized by John the Baptist. And here's what he told to them. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, how would that work at Abundant Life Church? Every week you come, you dirty, rotten snake, who told you to come? Oh, I'm coming back to a church like that, right? I mean, I'll be here next week and I want to be baptized. This is John. This is a tell-it-like-it-is kind of guy. And you're thinking, man, I don't know if I'd feel at home at a church like that. But isn't it interesting that we've all had different upbringings in church, haven't we? Some have had nominal beliefs brought up. Some, maybe you just went once in a while. Others, maybe just staunch and orthodox in your approach. Isn't it interesting how God brings us through all different types of upbringings? But thank God for people that tell it like it is. And here's John the Baptist, and he comes on the scene, and his ministry is very short. His ministry lasts about one year. That's all we see, really, John the Baptist and his impact. He is six months older than Jesus. He's the cousin of the Lord Jesus Christ because Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. John chapter 1 is written about 27 AD, and John's ministry has been going for a while, and John is baptizing people. He is John the Baptist, right? He's calling them to repent of their sins and to get their heart right before God because he knew this, when the heart is right, the feet will follow. How many of you realize in your life that when your heart is right before the Lord, your feet will follow after the Lord Jesus Christ? If your heart is right, you're going to be able to hear God speak and you're going to be aware of what God is doing. And in John's case, John knows when the heart of the people is right, they will be ready to recognize and receive and embrace the Messiah. And so John comes upon the scene as the crowds are streaming out to him as he's preaching. All of the sudden, Jesus shows up. John's ministry happens along the Jordan River. We see this in Scripture, the main river in the land of Israel, and it goes from the Sea of Galilee, from the Sea of Galilee down the length of the land of Israel into the Dead Sea. I wanted to show you a few pictures today. Uh, when Kristen and I were in Israel, the first picture is the beginning of the Jordan Springs. This is Hermon Springs. This is where it begins, and you see it. It starts off very small and then grows as it passes through. Then the next picture is actually the picture of the sign that is there at the baptismal site. Uh, Chris and I had the opportunity to be baptized in the Jordan River last year. It's an absolutely amazing experience. And the third picture is the baptismal site where hundreds and hundreds of people at the same time are flowing down and coming into the water. 
and receiving water baptisms. There's bus after bus after bus and groups of people that come. Now, this isn't the exact site where Jesus was baptized in the Jordan. It's, it's a little bit ways away from there. It's a little more remote area that most people can't even get to now. But it's an absolute amazing experience at, uh, when you go. Kristen and I were absolutely delighted to be able to go and say, man, we're here at the Jordan, and we get the opportunity to be baptized in the Jordan River. I just encourage you that if you ever get the opportunity to go to Israel, go. Because it will absolutely change your life because the scriptures will become alive to you and will make it so much more real than ever, ever before. And so today, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized following salvation. You and I are called to receive water baptism. That is what Jesus Christ has called all of us to. And you've heard it earlier, next Sunday is our house party that we do quarterly, and we are going to do water baptisms. I want to encourage you to be a part of that night. It is going to be a phenomenal night, and we're going to celebrate together. What a way to start a new year for you to receive water baptism. If you've never received it before, you can do it in all righteousness. It was amazing. We, we should show this video, hon. Kristen, when she got water baptized in the Jordan and, and uh, Pastor Wendell Cover and got baptized her, when she came out of the water, she was just Woo! Leaping for joy. It's quite a, we should show that because it is that awesome. I want to tell you, it's pretty cool. It's an amazing experience. Water baptism, wherever you receive it, because you're walking and doing it to fulfill righteousness. And we are also reminded that when John baptized Jesus and Jesus came out of the water, the Bible says like a dove descended upon Jesus, the very symbol of the Holy Spirit, and God spoke to him that this is my son in whom I am well pleased. As we come to John chapter 1 again today, John is baptizing. John the Baptist did not write the gospel of John. The disciple of Jesus is the one who wrote it. Remember, as we said last week, John is writing that the people might see these three things. Number one, that they would see signs. Signs through Jesus Christ, signs through other believers and disciples, through acts, through words. And then second, that they would believe, that we would all believe on Jesus Christ. And third, that we would have eternal life. Those are the three things as we talked about last week, that are in this. That is what he is wanting every person to see. We also talked last week about the seven words out of these first 18 verses that we talked about last week was that Jesus is the word. He is the logos. He is the reason for all of our lives and why we are alive today, that God has given us a reason to live and his name is Jesus. Amen? That he is God, that's the second word. That he is life, that's the word zoe, that's, that's the eternal life, that's the real abundant life. And then believe, that we would believe on him. We sang about God's glory today. We talked last week about 
the glory of the Lord and realizing what that is, the manifest glory of God. And, and then that Jesus has come, that he is grace upon grace upon grace to our lives. And thank God for the grace of God. And then that he is truth as well. John is now in the second portion of chapter one going to begin to build the case that Jesus is God. He is going to introduce Jesus and summons him to give a witness. And we come to verse 19. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 1, verse 19. It'll be on the screens as well. Here is day one. I'm going to walk you through three days of testimony in this portion of Scripture. Day one testimony is this. He is here. Can you say that with me? He is here. Jesus is here. This is what he proclaims, and this is the testimony of John, verse 19, and the priests and the Levites, they're saying, who are you? When John comes on the scene, there is excitement because you have to understand there hasn't been a prophet in 400 years. Now there is, and the crowds are coming and pouring out from everywhere to hear the man preach in the desert and he is preaching and proclaiming, and he is baptizing. He is baptizing, understand this, people of Jewish descent. This is absolutely unheard of. This wasn't known before. This is not ceremonial washing that they did in that day over and over. This is people that come to Jesus and are receiving water baptism that their life has been forever changed by God. The religious leaders want to know, hey, who gave you this authority? Why are you doing this? And this is the anticipation that there is a Messiah that will rise up, that some are wondering if he is the Messiah. John, are you the Messiah? Is he the Savior? And you got to understand this, that Messiah is the Old Testament word. Christ is the New Testament word that relates back to the word Messiah. Look at what John said, verse 20. He confessed and did not deny, but he confessed, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. Notice there's a testimony because he confessed. He put it in legal terms that this is valid, this is absolutely true, that listen, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Wow, okay, the reason they're asking about Elijah is, is because in the Old Testament, we said that before Messiah comes, and the Bible says in Malachi 4, verse 5, it says Elijah will come. Remember that portion of Scripture? It says that Elijah will come, and then Luke chapter 1 says this, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father to the children, the children to the father, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. He is not Elijah, but he has the spirit and he has the power. He has anointing similar to Elijah. And Jesus refers to him as Elijah that is to come in Matthew chapter 11, Interesting, Jesus sees uh, something in John's ministry that he doesn't see even in his own life. John, through this, you realize, is a very humble man. He is full of humility as he comes upon the scene 
as the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we realize, are you Elijah, verse 21? And he says, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he says, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself, John? John, who gave you this authority? How can you come about and be baptizing? And what John does is he goes back to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40 that I want to read to you today, and that's confirmed in this passage. He goes back in in Isaiah chapter 40 and goes back to verse 3. It says, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain hill made low. The rough ground should become level and the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all of mankind together will see it. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The prophet Isaiah declares it in Isaiah 40. And it says further on, a voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry out? And you read on this prophecy that John the Baptist points back to 700 years before Jesus came upon the scene. And he says, make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah has said. Now the Pharisees who had questioned him says, why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And this is an absolutely beautiful statement by John. Here's what John is saying The rabbis had a saying that even the disciples would not undo the sandals of their rabbi, of their teacher. And in that day, understand that the lowliest thing you could do is touch somebody else's feet, right? That's the lowliest thing you could ever do. You're going to go and you're going to stoop down and you're going to touch their feet. Only slaves were to do that. Let me tell you what humility is. Humility is when you and I are willing to lay down our rights to say it's not about me and I'm willing to serve others and put them ahead of me and if their feet are dirty, I'm going to wash them. When Jesus came upon the scene, we see his life through the Gospels. When others were looking around, even of his own disciples, well, who's going to wash everybody's feet? Jesus grabbed the towel in the water basin, and he washed others' feet. That's humility. Willing to put others ahead of you. Jesus constantly took the position of a servant when in that day the lowliest thing you could do was touch somebody's feet. Jesus said, John said this, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I'm not, I'm not worthy. In the depth of any person's ministry, we have to understand, is not measured by how many people follows him or her. Can I just say that today? Come on, come on. can we just be real? The, the depth of nobody's ministry is how many people follow you and me, but how many you and me are getting others to follow Jesus. 
Later, John is going to say, I must decrease so that Jesus can increase. In John chapter 3 and verse 30, this is the saying. John comes on the scene, steps on the witness stand, and his message is, he is here. Jesus is here. He is present. I declare this to you. I am not him, John says, but he is here. There is one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I can baptize in water, but he's going to come upon the scene, and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, and there's going to be fire of the Spirit. When you come to verse 28, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And the very next day, there's the next day John takes the stand again as a witness to this testimony in Jesus. And day two, he says, look to him. Can you say that with me? Look to him. Look at verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold. I mean, you got to understand the word behold. This is like, wow. It's like, look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is here. This is John. This is his message. Look at, look to him. He's pointing out in the crowds. This is Jesus. He's come upon the scene. Jesus, he's walking upon the banks. There he is. Behold, the Lamb of God. There he is. That's the Lamb. Why did he use the word Lamb? Because they understood what lamb meant in their culture the sacrificial lamb permeated their culture every morning at the temple a lamb was slain in the evening a lamb was slain on special days a lamb was slain when you sin a lamb was slain they understood when he talked about a lamb that a lamb was born to die there was a sacrifice for sin that was involved. Look to him, he says. Look to him. Behold, behold, there he is. There is Jesus. And he, Jesus, he is the Lamb of God, and he will save his people from their sin. He is here. Look to him for who he is. Look up, look up. He is the sinless Savior of the world. He is the Son of God that is going to cleanse you. He's going to wash you and is going to change you. Behold the Lamb of God. Amen. Man, we need more people declaring that testimony. Verse 30, this is he of who I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Very interesting. This was a statement acknowledging the deity and the divinity of who Christ was. John was born six months before Jesus. That's a statement he's saying here of God's divinity, of Jesus' deity. I was born first, but before I was born, he existed because he is God, very God. He said, I myself didn't even know him before this, which tells us when, when Jesus shows up, he didn't have a halo around his head. When he comes to the Jordan River, he doesn't have blown dry, lovely locks that you see in all these pictures, you know, and, you know, the sash and the white robe. No, that's not what it was. But he says, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I saw 
John's testimony, this is a testimony, this is a statement. I was there. I was an eyewitness to this. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to be baptized with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And then John's conclusion In verse 34 says, I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is him. So John's testimony day two was, look to him. Look, there he is. He's the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Let Let me ask you this question this morning. Have you seen Jesus in that light? Have you understood that he is the only source for your salvation, and that there's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved, Acts chapter 4, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you seen him in that light? Has there been a moment where you opened your heart to him, Jesus I believe you are the Son of God who died for my sins. And have you looked to him? With that statement about Jesus, the sun sets on the second day when the court goes into recess until the following morning. And then comes verse 35. It's day three. John takes the stand again. It's another day of testimony It's another day to give witness to Jesus. His third testimony is, follow him. Can you say that with me? Follow him. Verse 35, the next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. We know who those two disciples were from verse 40. As you look and you continue to see Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, so we know one of them was Andrew and the other was John. And they're coming down because they are following John. They are followers and learners of John the Baptist. And when John looked, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, verse 36, look, the Lamb of God. He never got tired of pointing people to Jesus. He points it out and says, behold, there he is. I mean, there he is. I mean, this is Jesus. This is the Lamb of God. What's he saying? Why are you following me? You should be following him. And they follow Jesus. Let me tell you, church, we should never get tired of pointing others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Never get tired, never get bored with pointing others to Jesus because that's what we're called to do. That as we find him and as we know him, that we are changed like the disciples and we point others to the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't ever get tired of pointing others to Jesus. Come on. Come on. If your, your Christian life has gotten so boring that you can't even give testimony of Jesus, I pray that through the book of John, you would find faith again in Christ to tell others about him. John never got tired. It's amazing. John had one year upon the scene. And after that, 
we see John the Baptist go back into obscurity, went into prison, and was beheaded. He did what God called him to do for the short season of his ministry upon this earth. Never get tired of pointing others to Jesus. Never, never, never. Look, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. But his testimony is this. The Messiah, the Savior, the Christ is here. Look to him and follow him. That should be our testimony as well. Hey, the Messiah, Jesus, he's here. He's upon the scene. He's come. Look to him. But not just look to him, but that you would follow him today. That's his testimony, plain and simple. That's what he was called to do. And so we're called to give a witness as well. And that's the witness we're to give others. Three days of witnesses, three days of truth, three days of saying, I saw what took place. I'm an eyewitness to the fact that this happened. And the way that your life can be changed is if you follow him. He's here. Will you follow him? Will you look to him? It's amazing how our lives have been changed and how other people's lives can be changed by this simple testimony of Jesus. You know, John Egan had never preached a sermon. It wasn't that he didn't want to. It's never that he never had a chance. Until one morning in January 1850, a huge snow had fallen on the village where he lived in Colchester, England. He looked out the window and he thought, surely there wouldn't be any uh, at church today. But then on the other hand, he was a deacon and thought he should go. Why would anybody else go, you know? And uh, so he said, oh, I'm going to go. So he bundled himself up and he walked six-mile journey to the little Methodist church in that town. When he got there, there were 12 members, and one visitor was a 13-year-old boy that morning. The preacher hadn't been able to make it, so the members wanted to go ahead and uh, send everybody home, but John Egan would have none of it. He was a deacon. They were gathered for church, and he would preach. His sermon lasts, they say, about 10 minutes that morning. And in an effort to make a point, he really ended up making no point at all. Until at the end of the sermon, with uncharacteristic boldness, he pointed to the young man and he said, Young man, look to Jesus. Look. Look. Look to him. You say, Did it make a difference? Well, the words of this young man, he wrote the words, I did look. And at that moment, he said, the clouds dissipated from my heart. My heart was filled with the light of the sun. His name was Charles Hayden Spurgeon. And when he looked at Jesus, God transformed his life and took him on a journey. And he became England's greatest preacher then and today and is still recognized as one of the greatest preachers who has ever lived. That is the power of the gospel to change a life. That the Messiah is here, 
you can look to him today and you can be saved and you can follow him. To me, that never gets old. Because anybody in this room or the sound of my voice can start over today. Can begin again. That's what John has come to say to us. Three days of testimony. Three days of eyewitness to say, Jesus is here. Look to him. Follow him. Come on, that's what we're all called to do. Follow Jesus, right? Maybe today you've come. You don't know him. Last week, we had a wonderful opportunity both campuses to give an invitation for people to come to Jesus. I believe, I think between both campuses, we had about 13 people that came to Christ. Today, I want to ask you again, those of you that are here, have you made the decision to follow the Lord Jesus Christ today? Today can be a new day of beginnings for you. Will you join me in prayer? Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. Heavenly Father, thank you for the power of your word that changes us. The truth of this gospel, Lord, made real to us through John the Baptist, who comes upon the scene, lived in obscurity, comes out of that, and does what you called him to do, and that is to give witness testimony of your saving power. I pray for every person here today, that as we come to this truth of your word, may it never get old, that you and I are called to give testimony to Jesus. That our lives would live that every single day because we never know. We never know who we're going to give the invitation to. Maybe today as you come, you realize, you know what? I've heard this message, and today I want to come and not only bear witness, I want to be a life that is changed by the gospel, by Jesus, by the good news of who he is, and I want to find a relationship in Christ this morning. If you're here and you say, you know what, I want to make that choice, can I see your hands across this place? Anyone here that says, you know what, I want to make this, thank you for that hand over here on my left. Anyone else? Anyone else that'll make the choice today to bear witness of that truth and that fact that your life can be changed now in Jesus' name? Thank you. You can put your hand down. Father, thank you for salvation. But I've seen one hand today. To me, it's worth showing up to come to preach the gospel, the truth, Lord Jesus, so that one sinner can be found, Lord. Thank you for saving grace that you've done that for all of our lives. We recognize the truth that, Jesus, you are here. Lord, that we would come, that we would follow you, we would change, and we would be changed by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray in this room. 
Father God, I pray for every believer in this place that, Lord, we would give the true and honest testimony of who you are to a world that is lost and dying, God. And that we would not be ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ as you have called us to bear witness to it to a world that desperately needs you, Jesus. That you are the way, you are the truth, you are the life, and the only way to get to the Father is through Jesus Christ. In your mighty name I pray. And everyone said and amen, amen. Come on, would you give the Lord thanks for one hand today? Amen, come on. Can you give the Lord thanks? We thank you, Lord, for saving us all. Hallelujah. Let's stand to our feet.